Oh, uh, do we have to count? Do we want to count? Do you need us to count? Oh, uh, yeah, let's do a quick... One. Okay. Two. Uh, three. Three. Wait, how did that go? Let's start that over. <laughs> uh, anyway, welcome to Pleasant Evenings Book Club. Uh, this is Hannah, as always. Uh, we are joined uh, for the first time ever by Roberto and Corbin. You guys want to say hello? Uh, hello. Uh, pleasure meeting you all for the first time ever. For the first time ever. It's it's weird that the first time feels like, I don't know, the, the tenth time. It's crazy. I feel like I've known you forever. We're on the same wavelength. It's like a, yeah. Anyway, so, um, you know, today we are covering, uh, well, this is pretty old school, but we are doing Tolkien's Tale of Tenuviel. Am I saying that right, Corbin? Corbin's our, our sort of re- resident uh, Tolkien head. Relatively speaking. Oh, um, y- yes, I've never heard it said out loud, so I'm. I'm gonna say yeah, though. That's how I would say it. Tenuvia okay, makes cool, sense. cool. Oh, I'm waiting for the for the lovely, handsome, beautiful dorks out there to to be like it's, it's Tenuviel. Oh yeah, you know no. I didn't think about that. If we if we fuck this up, they're gonna crucify <laughs> us. They're gonna crucify us out there. So here's a question. I just a background kind of thing. Is this is this is the same universe as the Lord of the Rings? Yes, and if so, before, yeah, yeah. This is during yeah. what I believe is the first age within the larger context of Tolkien lore. Gotcha. I I think also this is like in a way like even prehistory of that because. This is like a first pass before Tolkien like solidified his lore. Right. Yeah, what what was this 1920s that he first drafted this? It was exactly 100 years ago. Nice. Wow, that's <laughs> fucked up. And it was crazy is that, that that holds true no matter when you're listening to this. <laughs> it's Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Look at the timestamp on the YouTube video. All right? Don't yeah. complain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a little crazy, like, jumping into this one, because we're just going to, like, trip over every single... My, my dude is, like, a style of prose that I kind of forgot about. I, I read the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, when I was a youngin'. Um, but some of his, like, some of his language is really odd. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, he'll jump from tense to tense. Like, sometimes it's in past tense, but sometimes it's in present. Like, have you noticed that? Mm. He'll be like, now come such and such upon the river. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> right now? Like, uh, I will notice yeah. like, one bit of prose that I, that I thought was strange was... Um, and he, I think he does, like, this kind of backfill a couple of times. Where suddenly two people are, two people are talking, and then he'll say, like, and then... And then he'll say, you know, uh, Gerald, for that's what his name was, said this or that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, which, was, like, which was his name, by the way. 
he seems to sort of draw like uh like sort of direct inspiration from things like sagas and that you know what i mean and that everything he writes feels a little bit like old-timey and translated you know but it it just started that way it just started that way he was a professor of anglo-saxon so he's yeah he's very much into those those sagas and that yeah i mean this book that we have is um that that we're reading from the lost tales edition that we have like comes with like some excerpts of like other like passes at the story that he's taken and in the the epic poem version of the story the thing is called the lay of the lay of luthien lay of lathian like just like reading through it it is very genuinely written in the style of uh i don't know middle english i guess that's a language i don't, I don't know the proper terms but like medieval epic poem right right any any anywho <laughs> anywho uh do you want to does anybody want to give us the give us the summary yeah I'll, I'll take a crack at it um let me know if i'm skipping anything getting anything wrong etc etc <laughs> just just to refresh everyone on the the tale of tenuviel I, don't, I you know honestly I don't think I mean I, I I know that the Amazon series has been met with the with the same kind of uh intel anger you would expect from something like that but I don't know if those are the, actually the Tolkien heads who are like being angry I bet I bet the Tolkien heads are chill um <clears throat> I, is it enough to get mad, like, like, without, like, taking, like, a, you know, any kind of, like, edgy or racist perspective, like, God, like, for real, is is it maybe, like, fair to say that, like, probably that, that Jeff Bezos probably did fuck up some of the, the Tolkien lore? Oh, <laughs> probably, I, mean? I don't know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, does it, like, I, I, part of me, it seems like there, it seems like, like, uh, you know, some of them are pissed about something silly and illegitimate and racist, and then, like, the rest of them are probably pissed about something kind of annoying, which is, like, the commodification of, like... I like what I've seen so far. I'm not gonna lie. Like, that's... I, I won't be watching it. Like, Be- Bezos has undoubtedly fucked it up, and, and you know, Amazon is evil but you know there, there's some there's some good content I, I i yeah i don't think i'm gonna watch it i i just i i don't know i i'm really jaded towards amazon like specifically like i'll watch shit that they host you know what i mean but i don't i don't want to i don't want like anything to do with shit that they made you know what i mean does that follow no that, that's that's an entirely fair frankly <laughs> probably, probably correct position to have in in our yeah. um yeah yeah because i i was gonna say like I, if, if you're hoping to hear me talk about the new one i can't because I, I i haven't seen it and i probably don't want to but i this was good i, no. I did enjoy the i enjoyed reading uh the tale of Tanu. i mean this, this is this one's clearly better for, for, for sure but <laughs> con- content is content and i'll i'll pursue it you know yeah, no, that's fair. I, you know, and I don't mean to just knock it blindly because I, I haven't seen it and I have no interest in seeing it. But like, you know, it could be good for all I know. I just, I, I, I one, I feel like it isn't, and two, I, I don't want to like give Jeff Bezos the ad revenue to find out. No, is it the right. same score? Like, is Howard Shore doing the music? 
Uh, I'm going to say no, because, I mean, the, the OST does not at all compare to Damn. the old movies. Oh, that's the thing that would have, like, especially, I, I had the special extended edition of the Fellowship of the Ring DVD and none of the other ones, but I watched that one so much. Like, that's such a, a foundational thing for me. No, I mean, I mean, that original trilogy cannot be touched. I mean, even by later Peter Jackson efforts with the hat, I mean, is the way it can be both like just like the reification of everyone's dreams, staying up late, like reading Lord of the Rings, like the way it cr- it, it brought that world to life, right. as well as just be just you know, classics in film. Like, if there was no Lord of the Rings books and it was just those movies, it would still be, like... It might stand better, honestly, if it were just their own movies. It'd be pretty crazy, like, all the languages and all the all the world-building details. Like, we just pull that out just to have... Just be in the corner? What could that be about? Everyone would... <laughs> it would be impressive in the same way that it's impressive that Tolkien did all this. I guess I wanted to do some devil's advocacy. Those came out before the era of like Twitter and YouTube. <clears throat> so had they come out now, there may very well be a large voice of token heads and detractors. Oh, I guess. Yeah. Especially like in this particular era of YouTube and um, of YouTube and Twitter. I don't know. Like when the, turn happened but i feel like maybe after last jedi or maybe sometime before it became an industry to just like peddle nerd hate too nerd hate oh my god like <laughs> for lack of a better word i don't know what else to call it I just like, like that i like that yeah nerd hate is like a market force yeah exactly exactly <laughs> i'm just obsessed i'm obsessed anyway getting into it <laughs> Yeah, I can do a compressed version. Let me just not do any of it. Um, okay, so... Right. Yeah, as Corbin talked about before, this is set in a very early time in Middle-earth. The best thing we need to know is that there is a a kingdom, a small kingdom of elves, whose king is Tinwilint, who are kind of in hiding or in like resistance or opposition to this evil dark king uh who will later be called morgoth but for this story is called what's his name melvin uh yeah it was melvin melkor melkor no melvin mel melko melko melvin melvin yeah sorry yeah did i say melko no it's absolutely millhouse Okay. Uh, but so so Tinwilint has has two children, Dairon who's like w- super good at the flute and Tenuviel who is even better at dancing. And they love to go out into the woods and play their little instrument and and dance in the in the meadow. Whereupon one fateful day a baron, a a gnome, which, like, when I first, I, I had to Google it. I'm glad I looked it up because I was picturing, like, a gnome. 
Oh, what am I supposed to be picturing? Elf. Uh, okay, I'm googling gnome <laughs> Tolkien. Because <laughs> I, I wasn't, I was picturing a, a like a lawn gnome. Yeah, me too. But like, so like, you know, that, but that like, really changes like the visuals for the story. Because <laughs> like little like, guy like, <laughs> with rosy cheeks. What, what does he actually look like? I, I'm not finding any pictures of him. Uh, I'm gonna look. You can up, see him on Google. the cover of of the Lost Tales. Like I think that's him next to um, Tenuviel and Juan. Oh wow! So he's like uh, just a handsome guy. Yeah. Okay. I kind of wish it had been a gnome, but I guess this is going. This is supposed to be the more um, beautiful heroes of myth kind of model for a story. Yeah, I was exp- I was imagining him sort of like. Uh, well, so you know how they describe like. Uh, and again, I don't want to get ahead of you, but you know how they they describe them as both being sort of elves? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I kind of described, you know, in the way that like dwarves are seen as like elves that moved into the mountains. That, that's kind of what I was imagining. Imagining So like a shorter, stockier elf, but not quite a dwarf. You know what I mean? I, without being yeah, an actual it's garden gnome. My take, and um, Professor Corbin can... can confirm for us or not my take for that gnomes is some kind of lesser elf oh yeah yeah i so, can see it i think it's mentioned so like baron's people were the elves that were subjected to melko and and yeah i picked spooky. up on that in the epic poem version of the story i'm not sure if it's in uh version two i think Yo, I only read the one version. I am so sorry, guys. <laughs> I, I didn't realize there were versions. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't read the poetry version myself. Um, okay, so, so... Okay, good. <laughs> I, just, I feel like I kind of wish I did for the context now, but I, I just, I'm just i glad I wasn't... That little terse, little, like, lore dump that he wrote, too? Yeah. Yeah, you guys read more than I did. I'm, I'm sorry. We sh- I should have talked more about the scope of this with you, I guess. I, I didn't realize. <laughs> I just sort of, like, leafed through it. Like, I'm fully committed. My plan here is to um, get everything wrong on purpose. I'm not a professor either, by the <laughs> way. <laughs> no, no. Just a, I, just I was a, not going to drop a... that. I got, I got that wrong on purpose as well. I mean, oh. <laughs> even even Hannah's point though of like dwarves being elves and into the mountains. I mean, that that's yeah, like as a similar um, uh, arc of like people that are cast off from from their homeland. Like, I don't know. I guess I don't know if dwarves are lower, but like pushed off to like a different way of life. Yeah, and then they end up ju- judging each other for those ways of life. Um, Baron doesn't get the uh, uh, backup he needs to be able to come in from a place of, of judgment. When he's introduced, he's all alone, just as that he's lonely. He's a, a hunter. And these meadows that, that Tenuviel and Dairon, uh play in are like, he's new to them. And he sees how beautiful Tenuviel is, how beautiful her dancing is. And he's like, damn. Dairon and Tenuviel are not used to seeing randos like this, so they they flee, making Baron even more sad. But he was persistent, though, and he and he found her, and he found her one time dancing alone, and 
Tenuviel realizes that Baron appreciates her dancing better than anyone ever has or could. Aww. Yeah, it's a sweet thing. It's <laughs> Yeah. It's nice. I mean that's a romantic thing. Like I, I like the way this person looks at me. Right. They're a couple now. Um, you know, in the old fashioned kind of way. But I believe what happens is Baron and Tenuvil go to meet Tinwilint together. And Baron's like, I want uh to marry your daughter. And Tinwilint is like, This trash here wants to marry my beautiful daughter. Like, as it's a joke, kind of, he says, I'll do it if you get me a Silmaril from the crown of Melko. Oh, sorry, uh, Melvin. Millhouse. Millhouse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like, that That means going over to his, to his scary castle. Baron is like, okay, fine. Like, he kind of calls the bluff as a, as a show of his devotion. Make himself more worthy of Tenuviel in in uh, in Tinwilin's eyes so he goes off to to get it when he gets there he manages to get to get an audience with to with uh, Milhouse and um he kind of like flatters him into getting an internship at the castle he's saying like I'm a <laughs> I'm a hunter and <laughs> I would love to serve you cuz you're so cool he's really good at catching lies unless people are flattering him so he's like all right cool I'll let you go to my friend's house, a cat named Tavildo. <laughs> oh. That's um. the names. I... <laughs> it makes it sound so whimsical. Like, <laughs> <laughs> going house? to see, send you to see my friend, the cat Tavildo. <laughs> <laughs> Prince of Cats right, might add royalty. Right. Yeah, I mean, the the most whimsical thing is Tavildo, Prince of Cats. <laughs> yeah, that's a silly ass name. <laughs> even even Milk Toast is kind of kind of silly back there. <laughs> yeah, it's not he's it's not ordinary. The Prince of Cats is not ordinary. All the cats there are huge, and they live in an even scarier, darker castle. As furries often do. As furries often do, and we'll find out later. Tavildo is yeah more that than most. Yeah, that's true. Well, I don't know. I don't want to spoil. Uh, if anyone wants to read it, like honestly, like once you get a, uh, like used to the old fashioned flavor of the of the writing, like this does have like the same kind of draw that maybe you would get when you're like a little kid reading mythology books. It, it slaps. It's it slaps. In other words, yeah. So Tavildo is like, okay, do you want you want to. You want to be a hunter for us? Like, prove how good you are at hunting by catching some mice for me. But of course, being in a castle full of giant magic cats, he can only find huge mice that are themselves augmented by dark magic that Tevilda just keeps around for his own entertainment. And they're, like, way too tough. They're way too difficult for, for Baron's skills. So after three days, Tevilda's like... I knew it. I don't know why Meldor wants to, like, brought you over. You're no good, but you can clean for us and cook for us and, like, really, like, you know, puts him into the mailroom. And now, from and from then on, like, he's barely eating and he's, like, working all day and he's he's been reduced to a prisoner. He's given up all hope of, of escaping. At least he's paid an experience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he got caught. Now back at meanwhile, back at home, Tenuviel 
what is it? Like she asks her mom who has like special psychic powers to uh to like show her how Baron's doing because she's very nervous about him. She thought it was like a cruel joke to to make him do that. And finding out what's happening, she she wants to, she impl- she wants to go help him and she wants and when she tells her dad about her plan, her dad is like that's no good to me. Um, from now on, you're going to be in a big house at the top of this giant tree with barely any limbs that you can't climb down. And every day people are going to bring you, bring food up for you, you know, take the ladder with them when they're done. But Tanuvial is very crafty. So she figures, she uses her, her wiles and her magic to come up with an escape plan. She asks for, okay. I don't know if everyone remembers like the things she asks for. She asked for a, I believe, milk in a silver, in in a silver container. Yeah, something with the and moon. I know she needs like a spinning wheel. Um, something must be brought to her quietly, and then the other thing must be brought to her with the uh, people singing. Yeah, this is the most like mythology moment for me. But it was like, yeah, with some liquid in a gold container. And uh, some liquid in a silver container that had to be one had to be carried only when the moon was full, and another had to be carried while singing, which the guards were very accommodating uh, to do. Dairon brings her a like a yeah spinning wheel. She out of this she makes a cloak, a dark cloak that can like put people to sleep, and she makes like a like a special ointment. That when she uh, puts on her hair while singing about long things, like will make her hair grow very long. She thinks she sings about the longest things that there are, like the neck of some creature and the tree that she's in and other tall things. And her hair grows down, grows so long that she's able to uh, cut it off and use it as rope to to climb down. She. Dances past all the guards because she's able to make them go to sleep with her robe. And soon enough, she's in the forest, uh, Milkman's Woods. There, she meets Juan. He's the leader of the dogs. Um, he's very big and he's very nice. He's actually friends with Baron. They, she talks about Baron's plight and he's like, I wonder if that's the same Baron that I know. Yeah, he does do that. I'm not sure why. Isn't it like Baron's family has some pull or something with the dogs? Also, unironically, are these literally dogs or are they like dog men? Same with the cats for that matter. I I, I made that joke about furries <laughs> earlier, but after a point in this, I'm like, wait, what what are these things? You know, the cats are for sure. They go on all fours. Right. Um, And the dogs like they are um, compared to wolves. Okay, okay. That's true. Because there are times where they seem almost humanoid, just in the way that they're talked about and described, you know? Yeah, I got kind of Narnia vibes. Yeah, okay. I can I can work with that. All right, sorry. That que- question set aside. That's all. Actually, yeah, no, I think, like, the cats for sure are literally cats, too, because when he goes on his cat hatred rant, mm-hmm. like, he talks about how cats are today as a result. Like, why cats today are full of evil and hatred and jealousy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um, also, there's an interesting bit of, like, um, it made me, like, uh, like feel like I caught Tolkien in something. 
when he's when he says that that wolves came from dogs when uh kelvin was i don't know in, in his dark bidding he like um bred certain dogs for more evil and that's how wolves came about huh you can just say it's like um you know it's the idealized mythological like arthurian past of of earth yeah yeah um but anyways yeah juan isn't entirely sure if it's his baron but he's he's compelled to help um tenuviel anyways juan is just like you know in very dog-like fashion he's just very happy to help and like he helps come up with a plan for her oh you know what i i'm so sorry i said it was gonna be a compressed thing and i feel like i'm <laughs> it's not uh but like, it's fun it's a very plotty story it's actually like pretty like there's a it's got fun twists yeah, you know, and turns for how short it is you know because it's, it's obviously a short story it feels it's very epic in scope like it covers a lot of ground like in terms of like uh you know events that occur within its pages yeah the um the the hunt that happens later is like structurally it feels like old school in a very in a way that like really like makes it feel big with only a few pages but anyways uh right uh the plan is for tenuviel to the or to go up to the castle and say that to get news to devildo that uh juan is hurt for some reason devildo won't be able to resist because they actually have a pretty deep rivalry. Juan's actually got got to bite to Vildo every once in a, like once or twice. So she goes there. She notices Baron in the kitchen, or like she notices she announces herself as Tenuviel, and like Baron like drops some stuff, and she's and she realize and she realizes okay, no, he's here. He recognizes me. Like we're we're gonna make it out. Well, she does sort of trick what's his name into going out to the woods, right? That's how it starts. To Vildo. He is tricked, I believe, to go. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. She does end up tricking him, like, uh, and Tolkien explains, like, the way that Melko, um, was able to be tricked by flattery. To Vildo was tricked because he wanted to believe that Juan was hurt so bad. Right. But, so when they get out there, the, the trap essentially works, but they don't quite win completely. Like, I think one of the three cats that go out there dies, right? And then. Two of them sort of end up stuck up a tree. Is that correct? No, Tavildo ends up stuck up a tree. Yeah, and the other one. Um, was two stuck up a tree? Yeah, yeah. About just one. No, because I remember they propose a couple different ways that they can like. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She just she just brings she lures him out, um, to see to where Juan is like pretending to be hurt when the cats come up. Juan, like, yeah, Juan, like, kills one of them and, yeah, drives the others up the tree. And then they talk about, like, okay, so let's let's negotiate. Like, you can leave if you get Baron. And I think they bring, they have another cat go out and get him while Tavildo's stuck up on the tree. You're right, but they're like, no, 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 fuck that, though, because then if the cat goes, you know what I mean, then they'll just bring back all the armies of the cat people to save Tavildo, right? So what they come up with is like, um, there isn't it like a token that they use, like oh. a token of to the the gold the gold collar. But then there's concern, like, oh, if we just show your your cat guards, your cat army, this gold collar, they're gonna obviously be concerned and still show up. So they right. g- they make him give they make him give the magic word that had all these cats into Vildo's thrall. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Your dark secret. 
So yeah, so then she goes up with that with the with the collar. She says the words and all the cats become normal cats. They like become smaller and they all kind of scurry out. Um Tavildo's enemies reveal that he wasn't actually a cat, but he was some kind of fey creature that was pretending to be a cat. A furry, as the kids call it. As a, <laughs> it's revealed he was actually one of Aslan's many identities. <laughs> <laughs> Like 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 all furries, he was influenced by the good word of Jesus Christ. That's right. I I don't know. I I wish I could give credit to like whoever said that Aslan was God's persona, but like <laughs> that was really funny. That's really me. funny. That's amazing. I have not heard that before. <laughs> well, you're welcome, Corbin. It's all yours. That's the that's the gap between Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. Like it, it is no comparing. No offense to to uh, furries, no furry for, like. I thought you were fine. about to say C.S. Lewis, and I was like, no, I'm cool on the apologism. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm much more like I'm much more concerned for because because furries do get bullied a lot. They they're they're a punching bag for sure. But I mean, it, it all comes down to the Prince of Cats. Yes. I, I love the jump cut that's going to end with like us us picking back up with it all comes down to the Prince of Cats, <laughs> just like very obvious like edit. <laughs> it's a shame I don't want to associate cats with evil. Apparently, there's a story writing to an, to one of his editors. He said, "I'm afraid that to me, cats are the fauna of Mordor." Oh my god. My dude did not like cats. He was not a cat person. Yeah, I'm I'm losing respect for him, honestly. <laughs> yeah, anyone listening, you know, anyone who's listened to the Junji Ito episode like our opinions on cats are are documented now. We're we're cat positive. They're just sweet. They're just little guys. Yeah, they're just they're just mans. They're just mans. <laughs> One thing we have to remember is Tolkien was some Victorian era British Empire person. Yeah, he was a guy from like yeah, who grew up in like in like Victorian era, experiencing like Edwardian nostalgia for the for the past, who even then was further returned to tradition than even than his peers. Yeah, he was returned to tradition enough that, like, he kind of, like, went full circle into, like, pretty cool, like, uh, you know, ecological conservationism. Like, I, I love his outlook on trees. <laughs> Man, we just... We need more of that. I don't know. I don't want to get climate doomy on every podcast. Let's, <laughs> let's make sure we don't include any climate doom shit. I guess Lord of the Rings would have, would have more of that. Right explicitly yeah two towers <laughs> scouring of the shire like that yeah that that one's even more like directly scathing of like modern society and, and industrialization of impacting our old ways but but this is we don't have to worry about that we're living we're living in the in the in the real old times in the good in the true good old days or not even then it's not even good old days then i i might i might as well just say it now um, what I really like about this is the the lack of any explicitly declared human character. You know, I didn't catch that. I 
Men are mentioned a couple of times, are they not? Yeah, but they 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 never appear though. There there's never a human character that is named that <laughs> honest makes an to, appearance. Honest to God, I'm really glad you pointed that out because I don't think I would have noticed, which is and even crazier. I, I I really like the anti-humanist take that could be extended with that to a to a point though because. It's either when Tenuviel or when Baron are like buttering up Melko. I think it's Baron. Like he talks about like where he is, like where he's from, where elves and men like intermingle. And it's Melko who's like violently against that. He who like he says like he had made a point to uh to try to stop all fraternization between men and elves. That's true. And then like Baron backtracks and is like, Oh never, no, of course not. Well, I, I think I think Melko is interested and having humans fall under his complete control and elves would definitely disrupt that. I guess it's like, um, uh, that, I guess it's a, you know, like, um, is Tolkien Catholic or Anglican? Whatever. Like, like he, he was, he was pretty explicitly Catholic. Yeah. I mean, this is where some, um, like original sin stuff, like men being this corrupt thing inherently um, as opposed to elves. I don't know about corrupt. The choice is there for humans, which I, I, I guess comes down to original sin. But like weaker and lower than elves, and and but like this idea that they're like they can be redeemed by um you know more powerful, more beautiful, pure beings. Yeah, and I I, I guess that, that process of redemption. Yeah, I guess that's, that's what's cool. Like Tolkien, like he's at least thoughtful. He doesn't just make you know. It's not like. He's not writing like a My Farag rule book, like <laughs> name dropping My Farag. <laughs> oh my god! For the people who know, um, I see. I feel like we have to be careful just name dropping that though, because it's gonna make it sound racist. <laughs> like, god, ironically, <laughs> like anybody who does know is gonna be like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> you know. Like... <laughs> but I'm saying it's not. I'm saying right. It's not. It has nothing to do with. It. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe in the maybe in the in the books is different. Like in the movies, I remember like the way that elves talked about men being something that kind of makes elves look bad. Like their their insularness, like contributing to like their own kind of decline. Yeah, my rather far away from that in, in this story. Yeah. How far did we get in the summary? Because I don't even... Um, They save Baron, so they go away, and they're just kind of chilling. Like, they just go off to some forests that are for neither here nor there. Assuming this this could be the course of hundreds of years, who knows? It could have been that way for them. Um, That's another biblical thing. Um, I remember, like, as a kid finding out that Abraham, like, might have lived to, like... 900 years old or something and like they explained to me that's like you know as they as humans fell away from grace like their lifespans became shorter they found cocaine and tobacco in in the system of ramses the second oh okay so in the books is it what it is in the movies when saruman says to <laughs> says to Gandalf, like, like too I, much pipe it has like clouded your brain. 
I don't recall. It's something similar, yeah. Like, at least in the movies, Gandalf, like, lights up. Yeah, Gandalf is... Gandalf blows down, bro. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a whole style of pipe named after him. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And that's not for for tobacco. It's for, it's for that wacky tobacco. The funny thing about, like, the success of Lord of the Rings in the 60s was that it got, like, appropriated by, by hippies. The entirety of Led Zeppelin. Yeah. I think, I, <laughs> I think it's on Rambleon. Uh, that's like the I think it's on Rambleon. Um, that's like the funniest bit of Lord of the Rings that doesn't like make any sense. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like you know, like um, like Led Zeppelin. Like they're funny because like they, yeah, there are like they are like Tolkien dorks, but they're also like cock rock. <laughs> True. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Misty Mountain Hop might be a good example of that. But isn't on Ramblin, like, he's talking about, like, he's talking about some babe, some fit bird, you know, this fine, beautiful lady, and then Gollum comes and takes her away. Yeah, yeah. That way, <laughs> that way, that uh, uh, Gollum is known to do. He's famous for it. <laughs> he's always... Yeah, Mr. Uh, Steal Your Girl, Gollum. Gollum was pretty hot. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Where are we at in the summary? This is our most disorganized episode ever. <laughs> I, We're doing fine. Wait, wait, yeah, wait. So... I want to say I want to say one thing about Gollum just real quick. Okay. <clears throat> I can save him. All right, so... <laughs> <laughs> Poor little meow meow. <laughs> that's... <laughs> that was it. Um... Yeah, so Juan and Tenuviel and Baron are in the forest, just chilling, and after a while, Tenuviel starts getting homesick. He's like, I gotta go back to, to my dad and my house and my, my castle life. But she loves Baron, like, just as much, so it's... and But Baron is like, well, I can't go because your dad will laugh at me if I don't have the Silmaril. It'll be, like... It'll be super <laughs> embarrassing. Yeah, they'll all laugh at me at school if I show up and I don't have a Silmaril. So, um, Tenuviel realizes that she herself, like, she can't let go of Baron either. So they're like, okay, I guess we're gonna, we gotta go in for one last, one, one last job. They make a plan to, to, to get the Silmaril from the crown of, of, uh, uh, milk. Milk toast. Milk toast. Milk toast. <laughs> the, the plan involves Baron discovering his inner furry. So Juan has a, <laughs> has a pelt of, like, a very, like, tough cat that he killed as a trophy and Tanuvia's like okay can i can we have that pelt and she sews this this skin on you know onto baron and they spend some time practicing how to be a cat like doing all the movements and he basically has it said do that too yeah yeah (laughs) they stream valorant they I don't know what <laughs> that's my only <laughs> they he gets everything down except for the meowing, but they figure that's enough. So they they go out to to Melko's castle, uh, and right outside they meet Karkaras, a wolf who's a little suspicious. How do they slip past him? Do they make him they make him go to sleep, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So yeah, Karkaras um falls asleep. After Tenuvil does her little dance with her coat on, and they go see <laughs> Melko, and Tenuvil's like, she says, like, what's up? Uh, I'm Tenuvil, 
and I would love to do a little dance for you. And Mel goes like, I hate dancing, but I'm I'm very I'm very mad at my yeah. dad. Like she that's part of how she flatters him by saying like that that my dad and you don't get along, but my dad sucks and I bet you're way cooler. Uh can I do this little dance for you? Melko Melko he's not a big fan of the of the dancing arts, but he likes what he hears, like, well, go ahead and do a dance. And she does so, and Melko falls asleep. So, um, Baron in cat mode, uh, goes up, grabs a grabs a crown, and using a knife, like pries out the uh, the Silmaril. In doing so, the knife um, breaks. Yeah, I think um, uh, yeah, Baron like rips off his uh his cat costume. I, I think like he's so startled, and he like wants to move so fast. He does so, and. They think they're going to get away, but Karkaras has woken up and he walks in to, to, to Mirko's room and seeing, like, seeing this, like, he lunges at Baron, who, like, tries to fight back. He gives him a punch and his hand ends up inside of Karkaras' mouth and Karkaras bites down. This is the hand that's holding the Silmaril. So Karkaras ends up swallowing the, the jewel and the hand together. But the Silmaril being something that is very holy, Karkaras's body immediately rejects him, and he acts as if there's a big fire inside, and he, like, starts yelping, going crazy, and... Image of the wolf, like, tenderly swallowing a woman's I see face. what's happening. <laughs> Me and who? Uh... uh... <laughs> Image of Blade from Elden Ring in a sexually provocative pose. <laughs> oh my god, Google needs to go faster. It's ruining my comedic timing. I'll, I'll say this is the most fun record I've had in a while, so... Okay, I, I didn't know how to... How to um... <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't know how to bring him up, but Blade had come up. Blade had come up in my in my head a couple of times. <laughs> like basically, oh, Blade's voice was Juan's voice. That it's kind of how I envisioned him too, which is maybe why I asked if he was like a furry. <laughs> you know, I was I, I was having trouble viewing him as something other than anthropomorphic. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I guess that's what living in the year twenty twenty two does to a person, but. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, the year of our Lord, twenty twenty two. Like, had the furry technology that we have now existed back then, surely Tolkien and like all of his all the Inklings would have known. Yeah, uh, Tolkien would have loved Elden Ring. That is a crazy gif. <laughs> <laughs> I, actually... I can't stop watching it. I was gonna send you a different gift, to be honest. On the subject of werewolves, but my, my computer is so slow right now. I just cannot get anything done on this fucking thing. Maybe that's for the best. Like maybe this this show's already derailed enough. <laughs> yeah, Karkaras um, bit the hand, ate the Silmaril, and yelped in pain, waking up Milhouse. And Milhouse sees what's happening. He's like, hey, it's you. Like, I'm, I've been swindled. And... They manage to run away. 
they take some time to heal, and after a while, Toluviel convinces Baron and Juan to go meet. Um. Oh my god. <laughs> I know why it's a pineapple, too. Like. Video of a pineapple in a hydraulic press squirting suggestively. I don't. Well, it's. 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 Sounds like someone hasn't been putting in their 10,000 hours uh, gifting. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, Toluviel convinces Baron and Juan to go because they believe that... Oh, she, she believes that um, that Tinguelint will look past everything and just be so happy that Toluviel is, is safe. And you know what? A for effort. They tried very hard. And Juan especially, he helped. He was such a trooper. He helped us so much. He's gotta... He's gotta go talk to Tinwilin. So they go, and we find that um, Tinwilin's kingdom is in disarray. Like, he's been so... Shambles. Yeah. He's in... The kingdom and Tinwilin have been in shambles. Like, they've been so distraught by... Toluvial's absence, you know, and, and the presumed danger that she's been in, that he's just lost his ability to lead effectively. And to make matters worse, there's been this crazy wolf running around, like, he, that's, like, been acting, like, just killing indiscriminately, drinking water nonstop, like, just really putting a fright in everyone. Will that come up later? Yes. So they go to talk to Tinwilin, and Baron decides to be a little slick, and he's like... You know, here's your here's your daughter and all that. And Timulant is like, oh, you you have, and I presume you have the Silmaril, right? Baron says, actually, I have it in my hand right now. But of course, he means the hand that's inside of the wolf, and he explains the situation. So they go out on a wolf hunt. Uh, Timulant, Baron, Juan, and I think some randos go. It's like an old classic medieval hunt, I think. That's how I, I picture like a like a painting by a Dutch master. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of how I envisioned it. Um, it's a nice little victory lap thing, but it's but not quite because they go to retrieve the jewel, and in like in the fray fighting the wolf, Baron actually dies with his with the last of his strength. He offers the 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 Silmaril to uh Tingwilint. Now we kind of uh cut away and well, we find that the story that we've been reading has been a story told, you know, um you know, among a group of people, presumably around a fire. And they kind and they argue about what they think happens afterwards. So either ba- either Baron dies and that's it. Or um, Tenuvial goes to make an uh, an Orphean plea to uh, the powers that be to bring back Baron, and they lived happily ever after, doing a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, but with the uh, with the potential and the legend that they leave behind, we leave this story. Oh, uh, and that was the tale of Tenuvial. Tenuvial. The tale of yes. Tale of Tanuki. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tuvan and Groovin. Tuvan and Groovin, yes, indeed. <laughs> so, 
Well, that was our least serious episode yet for some reason. <laughs> um, we're, we're trying a new story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do we have anything of critical value to say? After <laughs> all that. Um, I... We, we inserted our commentary during the summary, I thought. Yeah, yeah, I thought so, too. Do you have any more thoughts? It feels like it kind of goes without saying, giving, uh, given uh, Tolkien's uh, professorial status, but, like, this really did capture the flavor of reading, like, mythology. Like, random rules and tricks play such a big part. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's good storytelling. I like, I like, uh, um reading like about like someone coming up with a crazy plan and 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 it being like something that works just so yeah yeah i kind of liked i i i like that it felt sort of far away from lord of the rings i think like i i i was um waiting to hear names i recognized i think they threw out a gimli at one point they did but, I don't but think it was a different gimli i think a different guy yeah yeah but i i, I kind of liked that it felt far away you know um, because I, I was like, am I just going to hear kind of the same old, though I, I did want to ask our, our resident, uh, our, our token Tolkiener, uh, so to speak, uh, Corbin, what, um, does, does, is Melko Sauron or like, who the fuck is Melko? <laughs> so Melko where becomes Morgoth, so... This is a pretty significant villain in, in the mythos. This is the first oh, okay. word that Sauron is second in command to. Um, and in later drafts and developments, at least name wise, it starts to resemble. Okay. Rings as we recognize <clears throat> it, um, with the Prince of Cats ultimately becoming Sauron. Yeah. Although. So, oh wow. Um, before he had to come in as a necromancer. Yeah, apparently um um in the subsequent version, like it's like the it's not a cat, it's just uh some guy called Thu. And Thu is oh, the huh. one who becomes Sauron. Yeah, a Interesting. A, a necromancer, yes. Named Thu. Oh, uh, maybe it could be Thu. I I like the cat though. I I kinda like the movies more for that reason, you know, with the eye of sound. Yeah, it's true. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope, I hope That's Peter a... Jackson had enough awareness of the source material right. that he was dealing with. I to mean, have. That's a good pickup. I wouldn't have caught that. I, I guess that, yeah, I guess like the movies were definitely made by, by real ones. Like they were definitely fans, the people right. who made that. What else happens in later drafts? So, so Baron also becomes. A, a human, a, a mortal man that now falls in love with an elf. Yeah, it becomes which... like a model for... Um... For Aragorn and what's-her-name. Yes. Yeah. It's like the precursor for, I guess, what they view as a tragic relationship. Oh, because the elf is immortal and the man is not. You ever listen to that album, yeah. Pale Swordsman by... Uh, oh, well, I I heard it. I I don't like dig into the lyrics, but I thought it was very very beautiful. Like I liked, yeah, the, I the way it shifted in tone. Yeah, there was a, there was a reason I was trying to sell you on that. That's probably one of the better blackout black metal albums I've ever heard. I it really caught mm. me. Like it, I took I took that one to the dome. You know what I mean? I was like, holy <laughs> fuck! But uh, yeah, that's about a that's about a lonely vampire, like essentially someone who's 
like love has died, you know, many centuries ago, and like that search for meaning uh, that he has. Yeah, I think it ends, and I, you know, I might be wrong on this. I don't know. The black metal heads in the in the chat can correct me, but I think I believe the ending is he um he like uh he like ties himself to a tree and waits for the sun sun to come up because it's the only way he can figure out to kill himself or something. Oh. Yeah, so like I I got I didn't like um take in the lyrics, so like I guess I got to revisit it. I was actually I meant to ask you because I was like thinking about that album and I forgot what it was called. Oh yeah, yeah, Pale Swordsman by Keck Derek. Uh, but that's spelled K E K H T A R A K H. I believe. I'll look and up Pale Swordsman. I might be wrong. Yeah, Pale Swordsman's way <laughs> is a way easier of a thing to Google. And also, uh, to our to our viewers, if there are any, check that album out. It's really good. Uh, does that uh, does that kind of wrap us up? That is Taylor Tenuvial. I think we recommend it. You know what I mean? Like, I I think if you want to like sort of try your hand at something like that, but you're not ready for like Beowulf or like one of the Eddas. Like, I don't know. I mean, and you're also probably familiar with Lord of the Rings if you're even considering that. So, it yeah. seems like the like a logical step up the ladder of that type type of literature. If like your main experience is The Hobbit. And you're still like, ah, but the Lord of the Rings is so long, though. Here's another thing you can <laughs> yeah, right. you can try to whet the appetite. Yeah, I will say, it did feel long. In spite of the fact that I read it in a day, like, when I thought about, you know, when I was thinking back of over the story, you know, before we went through the summary, I was like, yeah, there's, like, a lot of sort of chapter, like, f- like you know, phases of it, so to speak, you know? Yeah. Um, and like it goes through several like movements. There's a lot of action involved. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I will say one thing. I think it's kind of... I guess it's part of what the story is. And it's part of also like just like having a story. Baron, l- like, he acts like, oh, he has to do this, but... Oh, yeah. Uh, well, like, I think... <laughs> he could have backed out like many times. I think the idea is that honor means something different to people at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, you don't have a hero without like an unnecessary amount of honors, I guess, is I guess what I'd say back to that. I, I mean, it's... It, he seems like a smart ass of a character too, mm-hmm. though. Um, just kind of based on his response. Oh, some minerals in my hand, but where's my hand? Oh, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, that felt like, uh, like, like, yeah, I got like big Odysseus vibes. Yeah, yeah epic Odysseus. Moment. Sure, that's a similar figure, and that's a type of figure that would be like, oh, you want me to go get this crystal? <laughs> Fine, whatever. No big deal. It was like a, it was like an ancient epic mic drop. Do you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> and it's also cool how, um, how active Tenuvial is in all of it. Like they both like just throw themselves into these things. Like it, I guess it's like it's a way to show the the depths, the reach of their devotion. Right. Like by the end of it, like Tenuvial and Baron and. And Juan, too, um, you know, in their own way. Like, they felt like a tight-knit group just because of, like, all what that they were willing to do for each other. They really, like, they didn't have to spend much time justifying it. I guess because also the um, the mythic thing. If you just say these people are friends or these people are committed, these people are in love, you simply yeah. 
accept it. If you it. can like sort of distill it down to like a good versus evil thing, then all of a sudden then they have like this inherent reason to stick together and care about each other. Like their motives aren't more complicated than like, well, some of us are good and we'd have to fight the bad. And I mean, that's not yeah. like a bad thing here. I just, it allows for those like broad strokes to be painted, I think. Yeah. Although, but like, but what like motivates Baron and Tenuvial is each other. Like it's not about... Oh, sure getting one over on the evil Melko and that's Juan true seems like maybe there's some noble thing there but it seems like he's just like he just like has his loyalties and he has his grudges and like that's it fair i guess we're not given i don't know that we're given enough about him to to like make that assumption i mean he's just a what do we know about him other than that he has like a pack of dogs i and that they yeah. generally fight the cats i it's so like yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> Right, I mean, these things are just too general. I, do you know what I mean? Like, it's so general. It's- he has, um, like, but, like, part of why he's motivated to help is because um, he's, like, he's got some, like, debt or, like, some, like, bond with Baron's father or something. Oh, yeah, I recall that now that you mention it. And in general, like, he and his dogs and the cats just, like, yeah. are always eager to get one over on each other anyways. Like cats and dogs. Like cats and dogs. Yeah. Good and e- good and evil, mm-hmm. apparently. Right. Yeah, apparently. Remind me to never take a cat to Tolkien's house, I guess. Oh yeah. You would think I would I guess not anymore, but like when I picture like an academic old guy in the in Tweed, a cat is just there. Right. In my in my imagination. I guess in his case... It's hard, it's it's hard not to imagine him in an armchair with a cat nearby, and I guess that's why it <laughs> seems so jarring. Yeah, this is... Uh, yeah. This has been the tale of Tenuviel. Yeah, this has been the tale of Tenuviel. As always, you are listening to Pleasant Evenings Book Club. I'm Hannah, and I'm uh, signing out for the night. Uh, Corbin and, and, and Roberto, just want to say goodbye? Yeah, uh, goodbye. This is Roberto uh, si- signing off as well. I'm also signing off. Thank you for joining us for the very <laughs> first time. First time. Yeah. yeah, canon the thing is, um canonically this is the first episode. Yeah, coming next week for uh our our very special guests coming in for the first time ever, we will have uh Corbin McLean actually. And <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> right. I'm not, I'm not going to extend the bit. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, like later in uh I think later in the in the canon, um Corbin will be known as Morgoth. Yeah. Right. Anyway, I it's been wonderful. Thank you all for listening. I'm going to I'm going to uh call it there so I can end the recording and put some food in the oven. Uh join us next time for um we're going to mix it up again. We're oh, yeah. exploring another format. We're doing Doki Doki Literature Club. Getting a little meta. That's right. Us being a literature club, of course. Discussing a literature club. Yeah. Hopefully hopefully has a, uh, you know, I can only hope that we have as pleasant of a book club as those nice little anime girls on the cover. <laughs> yeah, join us for a real easygoing pleasant evening uh discussing doki doki literature club yeah i'm sure it'll be i'm sure it'll be cute yeah yeah we'll see how that goes we'll see how this one ends up